Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the Gains for Girls podcast. As we saw yesterday, really as the entire nation saw yesterday, out of Ohio, Governor DeWine uh, vetoed the SAFE Act. What the SAFE Act is, is a piece of legislation that would prevent men from competing in women's sports. What a novel idea. And would prevent chemical and surgical castration of minors in the state of Ohio. Um, But Governor DeWine, a Republican at that, vetoed this bill saying it's not up to the states, it's not up to, to any state officers, elected official, um, to make medical decisions for children. That's their parents' job. And while I agree it's not up to the government to make decisions for children, there are some decisions that must be made that prevent child abuse. And that's what this bill, and that's what the governor signing this bill would have done for the state of Ohio and really set the precedent for every other state in this nation, the other 28 Uh, that have not passed some sort of bill preventing child mutilation, and the other 26 uh, that have not passed a piece of legislation that would prevent men from competing in women's sports. Uh, He's received an incredible amount of pushback, which I believe is a good thing to keep the pressure on him, keep the momentum rolling. So ultimately, uh, the state legislature, uh, they have the opportunity to do the right thing. So hopefully that will happen. Uh, But super excited for today's guest, as he is the sponsor of this bill, the SAFE Act, in the House side in Ohio. Uh, So check out the interview with Representative and Pastor Gary Click. Well, thank you, Representative Click, for coming on today. Um, I was very fortunate a few months ago when uh, initially this hearing um, became a thing in Ohio uh, to be reached out to to come and testify in behalf of keeping women's sports for women. And, of course, the other part of this bill, which would be preventing children from... Uh, continuing or pursuing any sort of life-altering care or surgeries or hormonal experiments, shall we say. Um, But I'm so thrilled to have you on because you're the sponsor of the SAFE Act. And so I want to give you a second to just explain what the SAFE Act is, probably in better words than I just explained it, and why this is important in Ohio. Well, thank you, Riley. First of all, thank you so much for being a champion for young girls across the nation. I've got some granddaughters, and I look forward to them living in a world where they don't have to compete with boys, and you've been a champion in that uh, far far greater than I have. And so I want to thank you for that. And uh, yesterday was kind of tied up. I hadn't done any interviews yet, so you're my first interview. And, and that's because I couldn't say no to you after you traveled all the way to Ohio to, to help us with our bill. So the SAFE Act portion of this, uh, it's called Saving Adolescents from Experimentation. And what we're preventing is sex change procedures for children. And as soon as you say that, everyone thinks immediately surgery, surgery, surgery. And yes, that's a part of it. But it goes even before the surgeries, it goes to the hormone blockers, the pubertal suppression, and then from there on to the cross-sex, or I call them the opposite-sex hormones that are in kids, Those are dangerous. Uh, They have side effects that are out of this world. 
and kids are not able to provide the informed consent, the understanding. How do, how do you take a, a 9, 10, 12 year old and say, hey, you're going to be infertile for the rest of your life. We're going to sterilize you, but you're going to be happy. They, they can't comprehend that as well as the osteopenia, the osteoporosis, the increased heart disease, the strokes, uh, all those things. They can't calculate that. And these are being pushed on children, pushed on minors. And uh, the SAFE Act says no. Absolutely. Um, so it passed. This bill, of course, was introduced in the House and then the Senate, and it, it passed um, with a pretty overwhelming majority vote in support of this bill. Um, it got to the governor's desk late in December, mid-December, and it sat there for 10 days, which is the maximum amount uh, that a bill can sit on a governor's desk uh, before he has to decide whether he signs it or doesn't sign it or vetoes it. Um, and yesterday, which happened to be your birthday of all days, so happy late birthday to you. Um, Thank you. Governor Thank DeWine, you. He, in a press conference, of course, the nation saw, uh, he saw, we saw Governor DeWine veto this bill, um, which I can imagine I've seen over the past 24 hours, uh, the amount of pressure um, that has been put on him, the amount of people who have, I would say, seen, I don't know if there's true colors. Look, I don't know Governor DeWine outside of his voting record um, and how he handled different inc incidences like COVID, for example. Um, but people calling him a coward, which I was certainly one of those, um, calling him morally bankrupt, which again, um, I'll be honest, I was one of those because I don't know how someone, especially with an right. R by their name, not that this issue even should be fall on party lines. Um, I don't understand how someone with an R by their name especially could veto this bill. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to ask your perspective on um, the veto and if you think there was kind of some ulterior motives as to why Governor DeWine would veto this, or, or if you have any insight into, you know, the inner workings of, of what he was thinking. Because uh, outside looking in, this doesn't represent Ohioans, and it doesn't represent the majority, of course, of America. Well, you're right. It doesn't represent Ohioans. Uh, in a bipartisan fashion, Ohio supports bills like this by 66%. Even among Democrats, 46% of Democrats are with us compared to 38%. So you're right. This is not a partisan issue. And I've, I've had Democrats come to me, you know, left and right. Many of the, the sponsors that we have had come uh, will say, hey, listen, I'm to the left of Bernie Sanders, but I'm for this bill. Uh, we've had that frequently. And, uh, and we've had members of the LGBTQ community even come and testify in favor of the bill. We had one transsexual come and say, listen, I, I, I transitioned at 19. This is not for children. This is just for adults. And, and I don't even think I was ready for this. But what, what you know, I don't know the governor's heart. I, I, I don't. I, I do know that we reached out to him from the very beginning, even before we dropped the bill, to be frank, and said, hey, we're doing this. Uh, we want you to have input along the way. We want to make sure that we're on the same page. I was trying to create a smooth glide path so that we could avoid this moment. And uh, I just wasn't getting feedback from the governor, from his office. Uh, it was very, um, well, the governor wants to protect children. And that, that's all I got until really an hour before the vote for concurrence. The Senate was getting ready to vote on it. And they were asking for some amendments, and I, I gave a couple of amendments that I felt like I could. But the one that they wanted that I just could not give was they wanted to make an exception 
for severe cases of gender dysphoria. And I said no. And that wasn't the first time I've said no. I've had to say no on that multiple times because that is the loophole the hospitals were looking for. Because as you know, if you studied this whatsoever, every case is severe. And, and every child, it's a matter of life and death. You know, you talk to Chloe Cole, you talk to uh, Prisha, you talk to uh, Morgan, you talk to so many others. They were, all their parents were told, if you don't affirm your child's gender, which is a misnomer, you're affirming the dysphoria. If you don't affirm your child's gender, they're going to kill themselves. They're going to take their lives. And uh, and it just so happens that that's the, the, the line that uh, I think the governor fell for. Um I don't want to be extremely harsh. You know, I know others are, and that's great. And I kind of get beat up for showing a little bit of grace in here. But I was talking to one of the, his holdup was, you know, he's worried that some kids are going to lose their lives. He's looked at kids with tears in their eyes and their parents who said, if not for this, we would have killed ourselves. We would have died. And and they, this detransitioner, this member of a detransitioner family said, that's exactly what my parents fell for. They believed it, and they believed the professionals when they said that, and it turns out not to be true. It's a myth. And, and so I think that's what, what got to the governor. Uh, that was the key thing right there. And uh, it's, you know, I, I don't want to beat him up too much, but it's a lie. It's not true. And we're going to have to overcome that. Absolutely. And that's a tactic we see across the board, um, even in the position that, that I was in, competing against a male athlete, which, of course, is different um, to a degree, same tactics they use though. Um, they told us if we didn't accept this, if we didn't abide by the pronoun, preferred pronoun usage, um, if we didn't allow this man into our locker rooms, uh, then we would be responsible if he were to take his own life. It would be our fault. The blood would be on our hands, which what a terrible, what a terrible thing to say, um, equating us to murderers. Of course, equating you and the That's governor. That's extremely manipulative. And that's, and that's what it is. Right. And, and, and everyone keeps telling me I'm going to have blood on my hands and, and, all that. and, and I just know the truth. And so I, I, I let that roll off. Every suicide is serious. Every person's life is valuable. I don't care how you identify. I, I, I love you no matter how you identify yourself. But the reality is that we have studies that demonstrate, and I did provide these to the governor, that you are 19 times more likely to take your life after transition than before transition. All these convenience samples, convenience studies, and uh, it's how do you feel? Do you feel less suicidal? It's like three months after you give a girl testosterone, do you feel better? And yes, they do. Surprisingly, you give a girl testosterone in three months, she feels more powerful. Uh, but those are short-term uh, samples of just saying, how do you feel? And ideations, they're not actually fulfilled or committed or attempted suicides. What happens after you transition, and it's usually in, within a 10-year win window, it's usually when you get uh, about the age of 24, 25, when your prefrontal cortex is fully developed, and you begin looking around and you say, okay, what happened to me? What did the adults allow to happen to me? If you look at people like Chloe, people like Parisha, people like Morgan, it's like, I've lost my breasts. You know, I can't get those back. You know, I'll never be able to, to breastfeed my child. Uh, I don't even know if I'll be able to have children because of the effects of the hormones on my body and all these health risks that I have. And, and they begin to look at themselves. And, and let me just say for any person out there who's gone down that far, you're valuable no matter who you are or what you've done to your life or to your body. There are still people who will love you and who will care for you. 
uh, and I would be one of them. But sometimes they look inside at themselves and they feel less than because of the mistakes that they made. They feel like no one loves them. They feel like no one cares about them. Uh, and that's when the true suicidal ideations manifest themselves to a point where it is very sad that many of them actually attempt to take their lives or take their lives. And we want to get ahead of that. What these children need is good psychotherapy. They need good counseling because gender dysphoria is not a diagnosis by itself. There's always something ahead of that. There's always anxiety. There's always depression, adverse childhood experiences, things that precipitate this. And then the gender dysphoria is an escape, Riley. They're like, I got to get away from myself. That's why they use the term dead naming. It's like, I don't even want that person anymore in my life. And it's almost like a sense of suicide and they become someone new. They don't call it former namer, naming or old naming. It's called dead naming and it's called that for a reason. And these people just need to learn that they are valuable as themselves authentically. With You don't have to take hormones or puberty blockers or surgeries to be valuable. Every child needs to know that they are valuable just as they are. And that's what's going to prevent suicide, not puberty, not changing sexes, not cutting off body parts and taking uh, drugs that make you emulate the opposite sex. And that's why I have a problem with even the verbiage of gender affirming care. Uh, because if you think about it, when we mm -hmm. use that verbiage of gender affirming care, we're basically telling these people that they're correct to believe that they were born in the wrong body, which is a terrible message to tell any impressionable, vulnerable, whether that's an adult or a child, um, to tell them that they're right to believe they're born in the wrong body is an awful message to send to anyone. Um, and it's interesting you bring up um, kind of gender dysphoria is a subset typically of another sort of diagnosis. Um, Chloe Cole has mentioned having autism, as have many transitioners and now detransitioners. You see a lot of sexual trauma or some sort of childhood trauma that has affected uh, how they view themselves internally. Uh, so that's a very interesting point. But this bill was vetoed. Um, but not all hope is lost. Um, there's some things yeah. that can be done, uh, which is really great news. And actually, if you think about it, Ohio joins a long list of states that have uh, typically, you know, red states that have passed some sort of, uh, speaking from the Fairness and Women's Sports Bill side of things, um, that have gone to the governor's desk and the governor has vetoed. Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, all of which have been overturned in these states. And I'm hopeful and I'm confident that Ohio will join on to this growing list of states. Um, but as someone who has some kind of behind the scenes look at things and who's in the mix of this mm -hmm. as a representative and again, the sponsor of the bill, uh, what does this look like internally? You know, is this something that can be overridden, the veto? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I think the governor underestimated the blowback from this. And I will tell you that my phone, my phone has never blown up like it has yesterday. Uh, people want the override. Uh, my, my legislative friends, my, my colleagues are, they, they were ready to drive down there yesterday if they could have to override the veto. It, it, it is very palpable momentum on this, uh, to override the governor's veto. I, I anticipate that it's going to happen. I, I'm, you know, I've told the governor I, I would come and have a conversation with him, you know, about the administrative details and I will. But the reality of it is, is I think that we are headed to a veto override. I think, you know, every statewide lawmaker, uh, has already said that they want this to be overridden. 
whether it's the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, uh, whether it is the Attorney Sprague has right. told me the same thing, who's our treasurer, and J.D. Vance has come out uh, in favor of an override. Uh, people are livid uh, about this. They want us to do this because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, just quite frankly, the, you know, the governor's on an island alone on this, I think. And, and I, I don't want to beat him up. And, and honestly, I hope that in the next few days or even whether before or after we override this, I hope I can sit down and have a conversation with him and, and add to his understanding so he knows why this is important. It's not, a, to me, it's not just about pushing him around. It's not about, you know, saying in your face or anything like that. Uh, I don't want to be that kind of a person. It's more about policy than personality for me. And, and I hope that maybe I can shed some light so he understands as we do this, that this is the right thing to do. And this is the thing that we must do. Of course. Uh, and I love that uh, policy, not politics or personality. Uh, it's very true. And I wish more uh, representatives at all levels, local, state, federal, would kind of take that approach. I think it would certainly curb some of the divide that we see in this nation. Um, so we appreciate your balance between grace and truth because it's, it's missing a lot of the times. Uh, and that's certainly how Jesus, um, how he moved and how he responded to things is through grace and truth. And speaking of which, you're a pastor yourself. Um, yes, from a, a spiritual perspective, um, I, mm -hmm. I, again, broader than just this issue, do you see a lot of kind of the cultural issues that we're seeing as a spiritual battle? Well, absolutely. And uh, th this is this is infiltrating the church. And so I've I spoke at a men's conference recently and I, I've kept the religious aspects and the arguments out of this uh, legislatively because we don't legislate our religion. But yet we can be informed by our, our faith and as we do these things. And what I when I spoke to this group of men, uh, I, I just asked the question, I said, how many of you know someone who identifies as trans? And nearly every hand in the room went up. And then two men actually said, my daughter, my daughter. And so I, I've maintained some contact with them afterwards. You know, they're saying, how do we handle this? And how do we deal with this? And, and I think it's very important. You know, some of these things speed up past the church and past the faith community. It's like, you know, we're sitting there saying, well, that's ridiculous. No one would ever do that. And then the next thing we know, it, it's all over culture. It's all over society. Our schools are teaching the gender unicorns. And boys are playing in girls' sports, and they're showing up in the girls' locker rooms. And we're like, whoa, what, what do you? And I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. I said, you know, the hardest thing to argue is for the obvious. You know, it's like trying to argue that the sky is blue. Well, how do you know it's blue? And how, how do you know that the grass is green? And it's like, where do you start to argue against the obvious or for the obvious when somebody doesn't believe the obvious? And, and so the church needs some help, you know, and I, I'm, you know, considering and praying about and thinking about what we can do and how we can offer some resources to the church community, to the faith community, say, here's how we should appropriately respond to this. Uh, and so, you know, that may be something in the future we'll see. Uh, but the church has got to, first of all, and most of all, love kids. Listen, you, you get somebody in this situation, don't make fun of them. Don't mock them. Don't ridicule them. Uh, that never helps us to achieve God's goals. Uh, Walt Heyer, I don't know if you know that name, but Walt was of one course. of the first people to uh, transition. And the first time Walt went to a church, a pastor came to his house and told him, says, you're not welcome here. 
And, and so he left and he didn't go back to a church for a long time. The next time he went to a church, he was living as a woman at the time. The he Before he went to church, he went to the pastor. He said, am I allowed to come here? And the pastor said, you're allowed to come here. He said, are you going to try to change me? And the pastor said, my job is to love you. It's God's job to change you. And so he went. And, and just by the love of God and the grace of God through that, uh, God reached into Walt's heart and to his life. And he detransitioned. And now he runs a, a very popular Six Change Regret webpage. And he has a testimony that is just known throughout all the nation. And it's faith that makes the difference. You know, Laura Perry is a Christian. Laura Perry Smaltz. Now she's gotten married, but she went through that transition and lived as a boy for a number of years. And uh, her mother was very frustrated and her mother kept trying to fix the situation. And if you Google look this up, there there's some testimonies there where her mother says, you know, God finally told me you can fix her or I can fix her. So if you want to do it, God said, I'll stand back and let you do it. But if you want me to do it, I need you to step back and let me do it. And and uh, long story short, that's what happened. And uh, uh, Laura made it through that. And she's a wonderful, vibrant uh, person today with a great testimony of, of what God has done in her life. Uh, and, you know, for me, when I was asked by Reuters, because, again, I don't want to go citing all the scriptures for this, but they said, you know, what scripture do you use? And I said, well, you know, Jesus taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I just say, if I was a gender dysphoric kid growing up confused, would I want people to give me a false authenticity or the real authenticity? Uh, Would I want someone to put me down a path of hormones that are going to change my thinking and change my mind? 85 to 95% of kids who go through puberty will desist. Their, their, Their bodies will figure it out. They sort it out as they get older. But 98% of them who go on puberty blockers will persist and then continue to opposite sex hormones and then very likely on the surgery, you know, whether it's in their early, their late teens or into adulthood. So if I'm a, if I'm going to love my neighbors myself, I'm going to protect them from those harms. So I'm sorry, that's probably pretty long winded. That's the pastor in me, Riley. <laughs> I know that. Um, but it's good to hear. And I think it's something that everyone on all sides of the aisle certainly needs to hear, myself included sometimes. Uh, it's easy to um, lose sight of why we fight these fights. And it's to spread his word and his gospel. As a Christian myself, that's why I do what I do. But it's it's easy to kind of lose sight of that, uh, getting wrapped up in a lot of this. So I appreciate um, your insight for sure. Last question. Um, what I hear all the time. Uh, in every state that I go to to testify or or just all the time I hear it is this isn't really happening here. Uh, you know, this is Nebraska. We only have two trans athletes or two trans individuals in the entire state. Um, I know that this issue is incredibly underreported. Uh, and I'm sure you do as well, given the mm-hmm. messages that you receive from parents or from athletes or from coaches or from doctors or physicians. Um, I know this issue is incredibly underreported, and I I got a lot of flack for coming to Ohio because people will say, you're not from here. Your voice doesn't matter. Uh, well, first of all, I believe every young girl, young boy in the country across the world deserves to be protected. And if I can help in any way, I'm going to be there. So I think that's a silly argument. But anyways, uh, what's your message to Ohioans, um, to, you know, your other, your colleagues across the aisle or your colleagues on, on, uh, the Republican side with you, uh, what's your message to them in regards to them saying that them potentially saying, you know, this doesn't happen here. Well, I would say two things. Number one, 
and I, I heard you express this and I love it because it's true. It's, it's not about necessarily how many, you know, the people affected are not just the trans athletes. They say, how many trans athletes are there? But how many trans, how many young ladies were affected in your locker room by just one trans athlete? Those are the people that are affected are these girls who have to stand in a locker room or change in a locker room or to compete unfairly or get a hockey put, put through their teeth or, or experience damage, physical damage by competing against a male involuntarily. But the other thing is, is it's highly, uh, highly, highly uh, underreported. I, I spoke to a father. Uh, who was telling me, uh, uh, coming out of a junior high school on a whole different topic. He said, yeah, my, I told my son, I said, he's going into junior high. He said, I just told him, I said, you know, you're going to see things you've never seen before, hear things you never heard before. So don't worry about it. You're not going to see or hear anything that I didn't see or hear when I was in, in middle school. And just, you know, just tell me, we'll talk about it. Don't worry. Don't be embarrassed. And he said, he blew me out of the water the first day because a girl identified as a boy and came changing in his locker room. And he said, no, I've never experienced that before. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I can help you with this. We can get your story out. And he's like, I just don't want to put my, my son through that embarrassment. I don't want to put my child through this. And that is what happens time and time and time again. Because as soon as you put your child out there, whether it's about any of this transgender stuff, whether it's in the sports or in the detransition or the transitioning, there are so many parents who come and talk to me offline. They won't come out in person because their family is at stake. They get bullied. They get, and they're embarrassed. And, and it is high. People come to me all the time as they do to you. And they talk about these things, but they won't go on the record. It needs to be taken care of. They shouldn't have to put their family name and their family uh, safety or their, their, just their, their reputation at stake to be protected. And so that's why there's people like Riley Gaines who are doing it. And that's why there's people like Gary Click who are doing it. And we are not alone. There's an army of folks behind us who are protecting young boys and young girls. And I am not a quitter. Uh, I might not shout real loud. I might not scream real loud. I might not get red faced, but I persist and I plot on and I don't quit. And that's how we got here today. This bill has been reported dead so many times you wouldn't believe it, but here we are, and we are going to get it across the finish line, Riley. Thank you so much for being a champion. Thank you for coming to Ohio. Thank you for going everywhere you go, and thank you for this podcast. Well, thank you. Uh, we are so appreciative of you and your effort. Um, it's needed now more than ever, and you give me hope. Um, this, I think you give a lot of people hope. Again, Ohioans, but really a lot broader than that. I wholeheartedly believe Ohio will get through uh, we'll pass the SAFE Act and become the 24th state to implement some sort of Fairness in Women's Sports Bill and the 22nd state uh, to implement some sort of uh, protection of minors against um, experiment experimentation as implemented in the SAFE Act. So we're very, very appreciative of you, Representative Click, and thank you for coming on. I think we all certainly have a lot to learn from Representative Click in terms of how we communicate this issue, what we can do to combat this issue, to get this over the finish line in Ohio. Uh, make sure you're, you are reaching out. If you're from the state of Ohio, of course, make sure you're reaching out to your state and local representatives and senators. Uh, and if you're not from the state of Ohio, I believe it's still important to be reaching out to the governor's office um, to make sure he knows uh, the majority of, again, not just Ohio, the, the majority of this nation is not in support of this veto, as shown by the lieutenant governor, as shown by the attorney general, as so, shown by the Senate president and the Speaker of the House in Ohio. 
Um, keep the pressure on them. Keep the momentum rolling. That's what we need. That's how we get things done. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment. Uh, you can check this out at outkick.com or anywhere where you get your podcasts. And we will see you again next week. Bye.